Welcome to the One Fish Foundation Fish Tales Podcast. I'm Carlos Stoll, president of One Fish Foundation, the sustainable seafood education nonprofit based in Maine. These podcasts feature powerful stories from har fish harvesters, fishmongers, chefs, educators, advocates, and others in and around the seafood supply chain. Our first series of conversations comes from Bristol Bay, Alaska, where I interviewed a broad range of personalities with rich, disparate backgrounds. Today we're joined by Nancy Morris Lyon, who co-owns Bear Trail Lodge with her husband Heath in King Salmon, Alaska, which is further up the Naknek River. So Nancy, just to get started, can you tell us what the past couple of months has been like in terms of getting the lodge open, dealing with COVID-19, because that is a reality, um, and what the season has looked like so far for you? Yeah, it's definitely been a, a different type of year, Carlos. We have really struggled. Tourism is not a good industry to be in with COVID-19 around. Um, luckily, the state allowed mandates uh, that required people to be tested before they came up here. Otherwise, all visitors had to quarantine for 14 days, which pretty much made our lodging impossible. And it was going to be something that there's no way we could have actually uh, had the lodge open. So we do consider ourselves lucky that way, but it has been a mixed bag all year. When the phone rings, you just have no idea if it's somebody that was going to be here in 48 hours that has to cancel or whether it's somebody who wants to come next week. And um, unfortunately, the cancellations outnumber the reservations, but you know, you, you take what you can get and you're just glad for what you did get. And it, it is allowing me to at least keep my crew uh, in work and busy. And I'm very grateful for that as they are as well. And um, you know, the fish don't know anything about it. They don't seem to be affected by it. So that's the good news too, is they just keep coming. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's the thing. And I, you know, having talked with Melanie Brown, Steve Curry, and, and that sentiment's come across. The fish don't know the difference. It's how, you know, humans are sort of dealing with it and adapting to it and you know, taking care to, to, to try to keep the communities healthy, the indigenous small, commun uh, uh, small indigenous communities healthy. Um, but still um, respond to the state, state's decision, the governor's decision to open up the fishery and therefore try to do the best that they can um, to minimize the impact. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough tightrope. I mean, at least for you all, what a great place to quarantine. Oh, it's marvelous. Yeah, since we live out here, that's kind of the joke with everybody is at least we have a, the best quarantine grounds in the world. There's no doubt. But it is. It's a very difficult tightrope because we have um, quite um, isolated communities out here and a large population of our elderly folks live out here and they are definitely, you know, like our treasures. So we are very guarded about wanting to have the virus kept out of here to keep them safe and not having to send them to our bigger towns, um, especially for medical care, if at all possible. So we're, we're doing the very best we can, but it definitely is a, a balancing act. And we sure hope that, you know, we win in the long run. Everyone I've spoken to has echoed that same sentiment. And at least from what I've seen, the impact in Bristol Bay has not been as bad as it could have been so far. And hopefully it stays that way. I mean, any 
any infections are, are not good, but at least keeping it to a minimum and keeping it from community spread, you know, that's, that's good so far. So yep, let's hope that's, that Yep, that's what we're hoping for as well. So we can, we can only hope that we can maintain it. We still have several months to go, so we'll see. Yeah, well, let's, let's hope that uh, for sure. So you're not a native, though, from King Salmon, Alaska. So no, uh, I'm not. I'm an tell us, <laughs> tell, tell us where you know where you're coming from because how did you come from a subsistence farming background to be owning co-owning a lodge in Bristol Bay, Alaska? I mean that, that's not a linear, you know, equation. No, it doesn't. It doesn't fit very well at all, which I totally understand. But I had a father who absolutely loved to fish and instilled it in me in an early age, and. I had a brother that migrated north to Alaska when I was just out of college and fell in love with it and convinced me to come up there for basically uh, just a, a, my time off at my job to come up and, and visit him for my vacation time. So I did and I fell in love with it and I basically went about quitting my job and moving to Alaska at that point. And uh, it was an easy fit for me once I got up here, not only because of the subsistence lifestyle, but also because of the remoteness. And that's something that I also grew up in mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, craved. So it was, it, it, it became home very quickly for me. Where were you from in Washington? And when did you go up so, to Bristol Bay? I was, I was from Eastern Washington, a very small community called Odessa. That's kind of between Moses Lake and Spokane. And we lived a good, good 25, 30 miles out of town. So it was nowhere near the town itself. And uh, we were isolated with sagebrush on all sides of us and farm ground. And that was pretty much it. Our nearest neighbors were probably five miles away from us. And um, I came up here out of college in 1981 was when I first came to Alaska. And I spent my first few years in the Anchorage Homer area and started actually on a uh, halibut charter boat out of Homer and um, was hired to come out here as a guide. And when I I asked him to fly me out to see what it was like. And I only took flying over once for me to absolutely accept the job without question. So why a fishing lodge? Like, why would you want to take that job on? You know, you easy. fly over this place and you see the beautiful clear waters and just the incredible opportunity. And I just couldn't say no. I, growing up fishing, even though it's dry land wheat farm back there, it's hard to believe we did enough fishing that it was totally in my blood and definitely a part of who I was already by the time I was in my early 20s. And that's how I ended up here. I have to tell you, having been up there last year and my heart's breaking because I'm not coming up this year, but um, something grabbed me. Something definitely grabbed me about, you know, seeing these gin clear waters seeing the fish laid up, being able to, to put a fly right in front of them, right on the nose and have a take, um, was just, I mean, I, I, I've got it in my, my veins, the fly fishing bit. So, but seeing that something grabbed me, so I can, I can see where that, it, it's, it's um, almost a primal instinct to be in that kind of wilderness that is so untouched. Um, and and have access to that, despite what I I can't imagine what the winter's like. But um, but that I I can see where that that um, that kind of primal instinct would kick in. So I'm there, and I'm, I'm 
I'm coming back at some point. I'm definitely oh, yeah. coming back. It's year. absolutely it's it's absolutely magnetizing. If you have the personality and the heart already in place, you're going to be sucked in really fast. Yeah. No. I. I. Again, you don't have to convince me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. At what point did you like take over Bear Trail and? Um, yeah. So I actually started up here with as just a guide for an outfitter, and mm -hmm. then I was moved into the management of the outfit. Mm -hmm. And from there, I was moved into management of the lodge. And I realized I, at that point, I wasn't fishing as much as I wanted to. So mm -hmm. I jumped out of it and went back to being just a guide and running my own operation. Yeah. And that operation grew until I was actually running the, the guiding operations for two different lodges out here. And one of those finally sold. And so then I was just doing the guiding for Bear Trail Lodge. And then the owners were ready to get out of lodging. They were an older couple, very good friends of mine still. And um, they basically made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I ended up owning the lodge, even though I'm not really sure that's what I ever wanted. I really liked being out in the field a lot more than I am now as owner. But, you know, sometimes a good Lord puts things in your lap and you're just not supposed to walk away from them. So luckily I listened and here I am today. You know, that almost sounds like a movie title. Like, I, I bought a lodge. I bought a fishing lodge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole backstory to that, too. Um, and part of that backstory, we were talking about, you know, sort of this beautiful, pristine water, that all these little creeks, Contact Creek, America, all of these incredible places, special places that you've been posting about, you know, on social media. Um, and so there's that instinct to protect it, to keep it that way and not to change it. So that sort of ties into the next question. At what point did you become aware of, you know, this mining interest, you know, and, and what its impact could be? And you've got, you've got a very good time stamp for that too, if you could explain that as well. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You know, um, about about the same time my daughter was born in 1999 it was just a few years later that the rumbling started out here i i quickly moved out to bristol bay once i started working out here and i've lived out here for 35 years now and um so living out here you hear about the things that are in your neighborhood very rapidly especially in the winter time when you know it's not as busy as it is other times of the year and you become very aware of things that are going on around you and um at first, everybody was pretty excited about it. It was it was uh, a cause for kind of cautious celebration. Um, you know, it's always difficult to live out here in the villages where we're paying. Um, well, in my village, which is actually a village that is less expensive than the more remote villages, we pay ten dollars a gallon for milk out here. So that I always like to use that as kind of a, a basic graphic idea to give people an idea when we say things are expensive out here. Even now, we're paying four four dollars and eighty cents. Uh, for a gallon of gasoline. So it costs a lot to live out here, which makes it very, very difficult for people to live out here and survive um, in, in a manner that's comfortable. And that being said, the idea of these extra jobs coming to Bristol Bay and offering us opportunities to live a better lifestyle and keep more of our younger people home and in the area was very appealing to most of us that lived here at the time. But unfortunately, you know, we started looking into the mine and I say we with myself and a, a good number of other folks decided, you know, well, we really probably better check this out before we get too excited about it. And the more we looked, the more we discovered that these types of mines that 
Pebble is going to have to be in order to be a productive mine that will make money for their investors, there's not one success story in the world. And I'm not exaggerating. There's not one success story in the world. Right. At the time, they actually had one success story down in Canada. And um, it was doing very well. And they were heavily relying on the model of that mine to promote Pebble Mine. And um, in, in the whole process of this promotion, uh, it also collapsed and failed. And there it sat. So we literally have no, no positive prospects to point to. And the location of this mine is at the headwaters of two of our huge major salmon streams. No exaggeration again, the very headwaters. So it has potential to do more damage. It has potential to double the damage because of the two major streams, the Nushigak and the Quijack River. And that's why it, it's become something that is, is so contested. And that's why 60% of all Alaskans oppose the mine is because it's just the wrong mine in the wrong place. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, thank you for uh, taking me up um, last year from the aerial view of the plane to see this incredible watershed coming out of Lake Iliamna. And the one thing I noticed is that it's all water. It's all connected. If anything happens, and this is an open pit mine with a huge um, facility that they would be using to hold back all this toxic arsenic, cyanide, and all this other crap that is sitting in an earthquake prone area. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and they're, they're talking about, you know, having to, to, you know, keep that stuff at bay in perpetuity, which just the math doesn't add up. And I think you're, were you referring to the Mount Holly mine as the that is correct. example yeah. in 2014 that collapsed, just devastation below stream. And the same contractor that designed the tailings impoundment for that was designing the, the tailings impoundment, which is holding all that toxic stuff for Pebble. So yeah, it, nothing about this, this works. And, and you know, as you said, the majority of La Alaskans oppose this, um, so I, I, we know why it's still going forward. It's, it's about greed. It's about money. It's about profiteering. It's about short-sightedness, all of this. What have you done since Riley was born, your daughter, um, to share your perspective and to oppose this mind? You know, if I, um, if I could have the money back that I've invested in my fight against the mine, I would probably be able to honestly own probably two or three lodges uh, free and clear by now. Yeah, right. So not, not just even money, but time as well. And it's, yeah. I have done everything from multiple trips to Washington, D.C., multiple trips to Juneau. Um, I have gone out of my way to host people such as yourself. Mm -hmm. to see what we're talking about, to help them to understand why the fight is so silly and how little sense it makes. Um, I have incredible frustration with the fact that it's a foreign mining company with foreign investors and the United States will see no benefits from this. The jobs they claim that will be there will be very short term. Mm -hmm. They will be very right. menial jobs and nothing goes to the United States, not, not even just Alaska. I mean, it, it's one thing just to say Alaska gets nothing out of it, which we don't because Alaska was built on mining and our laws 
make it very friendly for mining entities to come into the state and open up holes. But this hole in particular is a bad idea because what we're giving up for nothing in return is a lot. It's a, it's, it's a heritage, it's a culture, and it's a fish-rich society that basically has the world's largest salmon runs and yep. is responsible for the world's sockeye salmon market. And you can't, you just can't weigh those two against each other and find a balance. It doesn't work. It, well, particularly if and when something were to happen. Yep. There's some sort of a tailings dam failure. The damage is, we're not measuring the damage in decades. We're measuring it in centuries, yep. at least. And we don't even know you know, how things could return, if they could return, exactly. if the fish could come back, or in what state. And, yep. and that's, you know, that's what the sort of the blatant short-sightedness of it seems to me. And, you know, what I've, one thing that I, I noticed is that for you, you have a really unique platform where you can take people out into these beautiful, pristine waters where the only other beings you're going to see are fish, bears, eagles, but not other people necessarily. Right. And right. so, and you know, who, who have you, you know, like you, you must have had quite a clientele to come in and take a look at this stuff. I know, you know, you've worked with Mark Titus and the wild and we're promoting that as well, that you know, documentary on Bristol Bay. So who have you had? in the bow of your boats, you know, sharing stream with to sort of share this story and why. Absolutely, and I, I, you've hit the nail on the head. I found that the, the very things that sucked me into Bristol Bay have made an excellent platform for me and the argument that I have against Pebble Mine. And mm -hmm. I've had the pleasure of having everybody, I mean, I had uh, both Donald and Eric Trump out and they know what Bristol Bay looks like. They know what Bristol Bay looks like through my eyes. And I've taken them to these places and they've seen these beautiful rivers and streams and they've seen the lack of industrialization and they have to realize how silly it is to have it even be thought of to be brought in. I take out at every opportunity, our congressional delegation of both Senators Murkowski and Sullivan have been in my boats. Uh, Congressman Don Young. And it gives me, as I said before, an excellent platform to, um, to voice my opinions to them. I think sometimes they probably may not appreciate it as much because they're rather a captive audience unless they can walk on water and I haven't found one that can yet. They pretty much are a captive audience when they're in my boat. So, right. you know, it, it is, it's, it's unique, but it really helps drive the point home, I feel. Because just like the, the memories you have of the streams and your experience here, that's also what they glean from being here. And I don't think there's any more valuable way to fight the fight. Right. And you, but you've also had um, celebrities, too, that aren't in politics, right? Absolutely. We've had people like Mark Harmon's been out here, Jessica Beale. I mean, we have, we've had some entities that are truly interested in helping us forward our fight and giving a voice through that avenue, which is any avenue is always beneficial in a fight like this, where you feel like you're fighting for your life. You just don't stop. You take whatever thread you can grab and go for it. So how old is Riley now? 
So she Riley's 21. Asking that, but how old? <laughs> She's 21 now, 21 so years this later. this is how long you've been engaged with That's this. correct. Pretty yeah, much. and she's never known Pebble Mine not to exist. I have to question, is that really fair to her too? So right. she's been guiding for us now for four or five years. Yep. And um, she's she is quickly becoming one of our top guides. She loves it. She's going to be finishing up college. She's going to have actually her degree in business with a master's in accounting and her CPA license. And I have to say, is it really fair for me to have to hand over to her a lodge that has this shadow hanging over it. I mean, how would you feel if you were gonna do that with your daughter? You know, it's, it's not something I chose and it is something that I have fought the diligent fight with for a lot of years and yet we still don't have an answer. And it's tough. That was gonna be my next question. You know, what's the cost? And you kind of just spelled it out, didn't you? Yeah, it's a tough one because Right now, we are in the fight for our lives. We've got uh, the, the Army Corps of Engineers coming out with their final decision on the environmental inter impact statement, the FEIS. This week, it's scheduled to be out on Friday. Yep. I think, unfortunately, everybody pretty much expects the Army to be giving a green light to go ahead for Pebble with the EPA. Uh, at that point, the EPA is gonna have a say on what they think uh, things look like and what changes they do or don't want to see. And the problem that we could see with that is that, you know, you got to remember who's paying the paycheck for the EPA. And we have a current administration that really wants to move forward with all types and any types of industrialization to, you know, further opportunity in America, which again, I'm not going to make any comments on whether that's a good platform or not but it's not gonna further America. This is a Canadian company with outside foreign interests as investors, and it has no benefits to Americans. So, um, you know, I'm at this point, if you would give me an ask, I would say my ask is for everybody to have their voices be heard um, to the White House, to the congressional delegates in their states, and let them know what they think about a Canadian company potentially taking over uh, Bristol Bay and potentially ruining the world's largest sockeye salmon run in the world. But I think that the more that everyone speaks out about it, highlights it, you know, Mark's movie coming out August 6th, um, you know, we're working to promote that, but the more that we can speak about it, the more that we can share that perspective and get more people to understand, that's the best we can do. So I agree. I, I, and I think, and if people say, well, it's not really my back, backyard and I really don't, you know, feel like, you know, I, I have a voice in it. I, I totally disagree. I think Bristol Bay is everybody's treasure. It's a national treasure and it's something that can't be reconstructed or replaced. And I think that people need to remember that. I know for a fact too, that there's been a big uh, letter writing campaign that's been going on uh, focused on the White House just in this last month and this last push because we know how critical this time is. And I do, I have heard that it is making a difference, that, that those voices are being heard. So I encourage everybody, you, you will be heard. And the more that it is heard by the White House, I think the, the better our chances are going to be for logic to reign in this Canadian company to finally have this whole thing shut down in a manner that will protect Bristol Bay for a long time. 
And I agree completely. And, and not only is it an irreplaceable ecosystem, you know, pristine ecosystem that, you know, you, you just, you have to uh, pay attention to that. But what happens there could be setting a very dangerous precedent everywhere else. And Absolutely. And so that's where the NIMBYs need to stand up and pay attention. Because yes, absolutely. That, that precedent would be very dangerous anywhere else in the lower 48. And so we need to, to pay attention to that. Um, thank you very much for taking some time in the middle thank of you. a very busy season. No, I truly appreciate it though, Carlos. It's, it's, it's been huge. I appreciate everybody who cares about my home. And, and you know, I say that um, not necessarily acting like I'm proprietary over it, but just if you take the time enough to care, all of anybody out there too who will write and take the time to call uh, their congressional delegates, I, I thank you as well. It does mean a lot and, and it's very frustrating. And I hope that none of you ever have to live through it because it's a nightmare. We've been speaking to Nancy Morris Lyon, who co-owns a Bear Trail Lodge in King Salmon, Alaska with her husband, Heath. And as we heard, her daughter, Wiley, is one of the star uh, guides. Uh, Nancy's been a stalwart voice in opposition to this mine that threatens the pristine waters of Bristol Bay, Alaska. And as we discussed, the Army Corps of Engineers is about to release its environmental impact statement that will happen on Friday of this week. Um, and it is likely to, to clear a hurdle which will, you know, sort of pave the way, another step for the, the mine to get a federal permit. However, as Nancy said, the more that we raise our voices in unison uh, opposing this mine, the better chance we have of stopping it in its tracks. So thanks again for joining us for the One Fish Foundation Fish Tales podcast. Stay tuned for more news about Bristol Bay and the fight to stop the pebble mine. And stay safe, everyone. Yeah.